If you like what you hear in today's episode, follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. College students. They are perhaps the most studied individuals in the world. A new study shows college students in particular are really suffering when it comes to their well-being. According to a new poll, 72% of college students surveyed report reproductive The National Institute on Drug Abuse finds that the number of college students drinking in the past 30 days. Why? Because gauging the perspectives of college students helps to get a pulse on where the country is heading. But also, studying students helps people who work at universities learn how to make college experiences most impactful not just academics, but students' development as people. Professor Matthew Mayhew researches higher education and student affairs in Ohio State's College of Education and Human Ecology. What we've done in the trajectory of how we think about our jobs, at least from the field of student affairs and higher education, is we've embraced this idea of educating, quote unquote, the whole student. The whole student, considering the student's social, emotional, cognitive development, even their physical and mental health, in light of how that impacts their academic development. The concept of educating the whole student, first introduced in the 1930s, has led to a host of enhancements at colleges and universities. Consider student unions, recreation and wellness centers, multicultural centers, even financial aid. The whole student approach also has impacted which courses are offered and the way those courses are taught. Many classes in the last few years, for example, are better at representing diverse students in class materials and teaching. But in one critical area, Mayhew says, most higher education is lacking. And what I would argue is we've done a very good job at moving that momentum forward, except in the areas of religion, spirituality, and secularity. Let's educate the whole student, except we still don't want to talk about religion. And I think part of the reason for that is because of this antiquated understanding of separation of church and state. Oh, I don't want to touch that. We're a public institution, and I don't want to bring religion into a public institution because somehow that affronts our sensibilities working in this kind of space. That's just a false way of looking at what the students are bringing to the table. My research and others have shown that students consistently turn to their religious background, their religious ideas as a matter of helping them through struggles on campus, as a matter of helping them persist year to year, as a matter of helping them make career choices in terms of choosing a profession and following a calling as opposed to just getting a job. I mean, there are a a slew of different ways that students have used their religion in order to help them grow and then help them make good decisions during college. But for some reason, educators kind of stiff arm, if you will, religion when it comes to thinking about educating the whole student. In fact, in a 2019 survey of incoming freshmen at 178 four-year colleges, nearly 69% said they had attended a religious service in the previous year. The number was even higher, 75%, for students attending historically black colleges and universities. In this episode of the Ohio State University Inspire podcast, we talked to Mayhew and three Ohio State students about how becoming a college student impacted their spirituality and changed the way that they viewed people whose religious and worldviews were different than their own. I'm Robin Chenoweth. Carol Del Grosso is our audio engineer. 
Megan Beery is our student intern. Inspire is a production of the College of Education and Human Ecology. A common stereotype about college students is that they lose sight of their spirituality once they come to campus. Mayhew, the lead author of How College Affects Students, argues that isn't necessarily true. So, our Megan Beery talked to three students of different faith backgrounds to see what they had to say. Meet Kia Hailu. I'm a bio major. I'm a senior and I'm graduating this summer. I'm currently doing undergrad research in entomology and I'm part of like other student organizations that keep me involved on campus. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your journey with your faith background before Ohio State and then what that process was like when you were reevaluating it. I've definitely had a lot of questions even prior to coming to Ohio State. So Growing up, I've always had some sort of passion for the natural sciences because I was just very interested in having very concrete answers, and I felt as though that I could get that from scientific research and study and things like that. Although I grew up in a household, an Orthodox Christian household, the issue was that I had so many questions and they were all left unanswered. I was just very obsessed with trying to understand creationism and how there is a God and all of these things because I was a huge skeptic and I always wanted concrete answers and I felt like I didn't get that from the faith. And I guess that's the background because once I entered college, things changed because um, I was able to do my own research and look for answers elsewhere and I came to a different conclusion. Was there a specific resource for you or maybe did you meet other people um, who helped you? to do that, to answer those questions? Despite all of the amount of doubts that I had, I still, for some odd reason, had a desire to have some sort of relationship with a God, but I just, I needed to know that it was real first because in all honesty, it kind of sounded like fairy tales to me. But my freshman year, I came across these girls who happened to be Christian and they said I could join them for Bible studies. And I was like, oh, why not? I would meet with them every week and we would read scripture. All of it just went over my head. I couldn't understand any of it. Towards the end of it, they wanted me to come to the faith. And that's when I got nervous and I kind of just stopped communication from there. A lot of the conversations we had made me question, like, why do I want this relationship if I don't truly believe? After communicating with those really nice girls, by the way, they were really kind and welcoming to me, I realized that I just needed to do some of my own research. Of course, maybe not every college freshman does this, but Hailu dug deep. She began reading the works of prominent atheists like Ray Comfort and Mark Spence and watching debates among Christians and atheists. Did you ever look to any of the other faiths? I know that Christianity itself encompasses so many different sects, but like Buddhism, did you ever read about that or look into any of that? Interestingly enough, Christianity was kind of like the last place I looked for some reason. I would look everywhere but the Bible. So I did, I looked heavily into Islam. I looked into another Abrahamic faith because I just... From everything that I've researched, it just seemed as though that of the Abrahamic faiths, they've had a lot more substantial evidence for their claims in their scriptures. I didn't necessarily read any scriptures within Buddhism and 
all those other polytheistic religions, but I did look into arguments between atheists and other theists who weren't monotheistic. You get the point. Hailu attacked her questions about religion like she solved a tricky problem in the lab, purposefully, with passion. A lot of the atheists that I was watching and reading, they would basically describe that if there was some sort of sovereign, intellectual, uncreated, ontological creator, I can't necessarily repeat the arguments here, but they were saying that if a supernatural realm did exist, then there would only be one ontological creator. It wouldn't make sense for it to be more than one, I guess. But there's like a whole bunch of arguments that go into that. So I was pretty much convinced that if there was a supernatural realm, then it would have to be one of the monotheistic religions and especially the ones with a lot more evidence for their claims. So that's how that worked out for me. Though Hailu was quite intentional in her research, this sort of exploration, figuring out what you believe and where that fits into the world, is one of the things that makes the college experience so valuable, Mayhew says. What we do know from the research, and this dates back to like 1950 and 60, is that students oftentimes experience college as a time for real exploration. And society willingly uh, suspends judgment over students on what they're actually doing during college so that they can explore. If they want to take a break and they want to say, all right, I was raised, say, an evangelical Christian, and I really am meeting other people and looking and seeing all these prayer spaces, and there's all these opportunities for joining all these different associations I didn't even know existed. When they start seeing all of those things on a college campus, it might encourage them to dive deeper into their faith to really make sure, hey, this is something I really want to ground myself in and identify with. And so having resources at their fingertips by way of not only people, but libraries, chaplains, interfaith spaces, whatever they might be, really gives students access to learning more about other folks, which in turn leads them to learn more about themselves and the interactions with students of varying beliefs, like Hailu's Bible study or simply by living with a college roommate of a different faith, are key to some pretty transformational development in students' lives. More about Mayhew's research on this in a bit. But first, Megan and I decided to bring Hailu together with students of different faiths to see what they had to say. Hey guys, I'm Gary. This is Gary Sung. I'm a senior in electrical engineering minoring in business as well. And I'm part of an organization called Falandafa Practice Group. It's a meditation practice uh, for the mind and body. So coming in as a freshman, I was just interested in like robots and like what I did in high school. But it was also a period to like change myself. So I explored a whole bunch of different clubs. I explored a bunch of activities and I kind of rejuvenated my interest toward Falandafa. Because I've been practicing along with my parents when I was very young, but I was just following along with them. I wasn't really doing it independently. So that got me thinking if meditation and these kinds of practices can really you know, benefit me in terms of like stress, in terms of energy, then shouldn't I be doing it more? I started to do meditation on campus, like on oval, outdoors. People would just see me out there practicing and occasionally I get people to ask like, hey, what's this about? There were a bunch of Christians actually that came up and just asked, do you believe in the afterlife? What do you have after death? That kind of thing. Because they haven't really interacted much with 
Buddhist practices or Taoism, these Asian faiths or beliefs. A lot of the beliefs are very common, such as the belief in God, such as belief in like destiny or uh, you know fate, these kinds of things. And so when I shared these ideas, uh, the Christians were um, you know, they were very interested. So it was a good interaction. I found very uh, they're very wholesome. So they were pretty open to the idea that you were practicing a different faith, but they saw the correlations with their faith. Right. Yeah. I can kind of touch off of that. Here's Khalid Dada, a graduating senior in public management leadership and policy at John Glenn College. I also grew up in a home that was always pretty conservative and um, we practiced Islam at home, always have lived only a few minutes away from our mosque. We were very ingrained in the community. And I also have a large family that's also all practicing. So it was always kind of a part of me. Going into college, it was something that I wanted to make sure that stayed with me because it's it's very easy to go away from what is being practiced at home. It's college is an easy environment to get to be yourself or find yourself. But I knew that this was something that I wanted to stick. So Dada joined the Muslim Student Association and served as president for two terms. We are one of the largest Muslim student associations across the nation. It's been a shaping factor for campuses as what Muslim representation on campus means. So I've been able to fight for a lot of Muslim accommodations and being able to get Muslims a seat at the big table on campus. I truly believe that that's strengthened how I interact with my faith. Dada is also part of Ohio State's Interfaith Council, which supports spirituality and faith development of students, but also promotes interfaith cooperation and religious diversity on campus. Hearing these students talk about their faith raises the question, are they outliers on campus? So many headlines talk about students walking away from their faith. I asked Mayhew how college impacts students' faith, or as some of the research calls it, their worldview. The collective student body in America, is it changing? Are they becoming less religious or more religious or or more attuned with faith than they have been in the past? That's a great question. And I think as constructs emerge, it's difficult to know how students are embracing certain ideas like religion versus other ideas like spirituality. So a lot of times you'll read in the press that students might be losing their religion when they go to college. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, Students might be less likely to identify with a particular religion, but it doesn't mean they're not growing spiritually. And so we have to be very careful with how we use these terms to understand what actually students are going through. So what are they going through? Our research does show um, that over time, over four years of college, students do make serious gains in what we call interfaith learning and development. But to break that down, it means that students are growing in their appreciation for students who identify with different faith traditions, right? So as students come through the door, 
no matter where they go, private school, public school, large school, small school, when they come through, they have a certain appreciation, say, for Muslim students and for Islam. After four years of college, all students grow in that appreciation. Think about those students who talked to Gary Song on the Oval when he was meditating. Now, students do grow in that appreciation to different levels or different magnitudes and trajectories based on the experiences they have in college. But what we're able to actually see in the research is going to college actually does kind of influence the way students think about folks from different religious groups and college influences it positively. He's talking about the interfaith diversity experiences and attitudes longitudinal study that he did with Interfaith America and Alyssa Rockenbach of North Carolina State University. The study surveyed more than 7,000 first-year students at 122 colleges and universities about their attitudes toward religious diversity. So the study considered not just students' feelings about their own faith, but their appreciation of other students' religious views. Then, it tracked changes in those attitudes across their college years. As the researchers combed the data, they started to see patterns at some of the campuses, where students were making greater strides in their appreciation of other people's views. So, they dug down to find out why. We went to those campuses and said, okay, your students are showing growth in these dimensions. What do you think that's all about? And we asked students, faculty, and staff so they could nuance some of the findings in these areas of kind of interfaith development, in the area of growing appreciative attitudes toward evangelical students, toward Jewish students, toward Islam, those kinds of things. And they found a few key elements. In the first year of school, what we saw was the most important thing had to do with whether a student made a friend who held a worldview different than theirs. And that could be like a roommate or a study partner or somebody in a club. Correct, but I'd push it a little more, Robin, to say the students identified that person as a friend, not a peer in class that had a different worldview than them, right? So if they were able to develop a close friendship with somebody with a different worldview, that motivated their learning. That actually drove learning in a positive direction, especially for appreciation of not only that group. If I'm an evangelical student and I made friends with a Jewish student, and that would, of course, well, hopefully <laughs> help me grow my appreciation toward Judaism, but it also helped them grow in their appreciation toward all groups. So it opened their eyes to religious differences to such a degree that they kind of opened their hearts to appreciating more groups from different faith traditions. All of the students we spoke to had these experiences, where their interactions expanded how they thought about their own faith, but also how they thought about others. A lot of the interactions I had were with people that I was familiar with. Like I said earlier, like atheist friends, Muslim friends, stuff like that. We would just have fruitful, respectful discussion about just, you know, different beliefs and different things of that sort. For example, I'd have conversations while we were studying for chemistry or something like freshman year. We were discussing, does God exist? But how does God exist? And all of these kinds of things that my friend allowed me to question my own beliefs and I allowed her to question her own beliefs. Khalid Dada. I've had the pleasure of being able to be in a lot of formal interfaith gatherings, but then also like non-formal, just with some of my Jewish friends or uh, Christian friends or whatever they may be. There's just been times where Kia said, like, 
or just sitting around studying, whatever the case may be. And just a thought occurs and we'll just start having good conversation and talk further about religion. Regarding those formal and informal group interactions, those are significant too, according to Mayhew's research findings. Students who participated in at least one academic-related interfaith engagement saw growth, and students who participated in at least two informal social activities saw growth. That could be a class, like a comparative studies course on religion, or a group, like the informal Bible study that Hailu attended. As long as the educator or the person in charge of those activities were able to really help students work through the dissonance that came with encountering difference. Cognitive dissonance. The mental discomfort that comes from holding conflicting beliefs, values, or attitudes. Like saying you accept diverse faith, but then making snide comments about somebody else's religion. This dissonance can cause people to reject, explain away, or just retreat. I read in your your writings about the survey that increased diversity left unengaged can threaten social cohesion. It seems like that's happened in the United States in general. Am I right? Yeah. Well, I think that increased diversity without having the proper supports in place to really navigate what that actually means and how people are experiencing that, I think it could lead to erosion of confidence that we can kind of come together. It often leads to stereotyping. The literature does talk about that. Uh, Students will retreat to stereotyping if they encounter difference and the dissonance that comes with difference, and that that dissonance isn't supported well uh, and responsibly by educators in the space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why college is so cool. That's why we need DEI. That's why we need things going on in college, because college is the one place where educators could actually design responsible contexts for those kinds of productive exchanges to occur and support those contexts. When you get outside of higher education, when you go into corporate or you go into other spaces, those aren't necessarily equipped with the people who know how to facilitate those kinds of arrangements. And so without that educated, facilitated kind of way of going about uh, managing productive uh, exchange, then retreating to stereotype happens, uh, probably some negative consequences, negative behaviors might result, et cetera, et cetera. One more thing Mayhew's research found. The ways that colleges and universities support religious diversity really matter something that is pivotal and something where the research is now taking us into a different direction is if institutions had policies specific to encouraging religious, spiritual, and secular diversity on campus, then their students or the students that enrolled at those institutions were likely to see develop or experience developmental gains. Hmm. What would that look like? A policy, but how do you, how does that get put into action. Are there bias reporting protocols in place when students experience religious bias? How are faculty enacting their value of appreciating religious differences when it comes to Ramadan? Are faculty making students take major tests right now during Ramadan when students are fasting? Are there policies in place that require faculty to put things in their syllabi to encourage kind of a welcoming climate for all religious groups. These are the kinds of policies we're talking about. 
And many colleges have them, but most do not. But on a college campus, there are certain cues that people will be able to see by way of how the college prioritizes religion for different peoples all across campus. For example, prayer spaces. You might never need to use a prayer space, but if you know there's one that exists or you pass by it every day on your way to a certain class, that will cue to you something about the values of the institution. Prayer and meditation rooms are something the students we interviewed talked about at length. Here's Gary Song. I was walking around Dries Labs, that area, and I saw a student just in a corner, and she was what I thought to be praying just out in the open. So I, I came up to her and asked, I know uh, an, another place where you can uh, do the praying. It's just a classroom, an empty classroom. I go there all the time. Um, so you don't have to go in this you know, little corner. I think that it was a great story that you pointed out, Gary. Khalid Dada. And that's something that happens often. So when I came in as the president here, I believe we had around eight prayer spaces across campuses. And our push from day one was always to be able to have a prayer space, one in at least every building across campus. And we haven't reached that goal yet, but we have definitely, we've doubled the number. I believe we're at 15 or 16 now across campus. Some of those we've pushed and fought for, but some of them like just colleges have came to us and introduced those spaces to us and let us know that they have them there. Ohio State University has more than 30 meditation and prayer spaces across four campuses. Three are in College of Education and Human Ecology buildings, but not enough students know about them. Check out our episode notes to find out more. You might be wondering where Kia Hailu ended up. After her intense exploration of different faiths, and landing on the belief in monotheism based on the evidence that she found. She determined that evolution and creationism are not mutually exclusive. Here's Megan Beery with Hailu again. You talked about being a scientist. We have a theory, we have a hypothesis, we need evidence. And so I, I think it's very cool how you combined that in your search because I know a lot of people who don't think that those two can necessarily coexist. Once I've determined, okay, there definitely is a creator, a cause to the universe, that's when I had to look into a lot of the claims that Christianity made and to see if it historically lined up. And it was honestly crazy how much I found out that I didn't know before. I realized, I guess not for all Christians, but it wasn't necessarily blind faith. A lot of people had very, very um, substantial evidence for believing what they believed in. So I was eventually convinced after looking to everything. Students are more likely to what we call self-author um, their worldview commitments. When they come into college, they're exposed to a lot of differences and they have a lot of different experiences. And as a result of that exposure, students oftentimes, they don't necessarily leave the religion they started with, they come back to it and they strengthen it based on entertaining those different perspectives, based on understanding where other people are coming from and having to make meaning of their own religion given kind of those experiences. Hailu returned to her Orthodox Christian faith, this time with much greater understanding, 
and founded the Orthodox Toahadu Club at Ohio State. Like Sung and Dada, her expanded views of others forever changed how she now views her own faith. To see a list of meditation and prayer spaces at The Ohio State University, see the link in our episode notes.